forward to getting into this uh, this week where we have been uh, been walking over the last four weeks. And over the last four weeks, what we have done, we have begun to look at Vision 2023 that we have, and we've utilized this month uh, to do so. Rather than just having a Vision Sunday, uh, we wanted to address this thing over throughout the month of January, but it doesn't mean it's going to end here. So over the last four weeks, you know, we've looked at the events of, of Jesus' life. We've looked at things that are recorded, which reveal... Uh, his true heart, the overwhelming theme that we've seen throughout this entire month, if you will, is, is simply from the very beginning of our vision, our vision month, is what Jesus was, Jesus did. And in reality, guys, that's what we are. Nine times out of ten, what we are, we're going to do. And we see this pattern that was set in his life. And in the opening week, we learned that, that Jesus went about. Jesus went about. We see this in Matthew 9, 35, where it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. The reality is what you look at that. When we, I understand, guys, we're not going to heal anyone. That's not in our power. That's not for us to do. That's not what we're, we're going to do. You don't have the healing power. Don't tell me tonight later on that she said, yeah, you haven't healed anyone because if you could, let's go down to the heat tonight. Then we'll go to Prince Charles. Then we'll go to every single hospital in all the U.K. And you start healing, amen? So it doesn't work like that. But what I am telling you is this. Jesus went about getting involved in people's life. He interjected himself in people's life. He made a difference in people's life. And that's what we're looking at. We looked at week one. That he didn't sit still, but rather went and searched out to make a difference in the lives of those around him. Again, guys, what Jesus was, Jesus did. It's that simple this evening. Secondly, the next week we saw that, that Jesus put forth his hand, and he did so in the most unlikely character in all of Scripture, which was a leper. We saw that in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You know, it's at the close of the famous Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous recorded events in all of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's walking down this mount. It, it went on from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to the close of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 8 opens up with him coming down with all of the multitude of the people. And here comes this leper. Leper risked his entire life to come near that many people. And he did so because he had enough faith to know in the healing hands of Jesus tonight. In the healing hands of Jesus Christ. And his will was to make him clean. So we see that Jesus not only went about, but he put forth his hand. He was involved. The third week, guys, we looked at how Jesus moved. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came to his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, seeing their faith, he says, um, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. He was moved with compassion when he saw the faith of his friends who brought him for him to be healed, this man sick of the palsy. He, he was moved because, number one, he was switched on with what was going on around him. Number two, his sight affected his heart, and he moved with compassion to use his own skill set to make a difference in the lives of this hurting young man. Everyone in here has a different skill set. Everyone in here has a different type of talent. You have something different, but everyone in here has something to offer to the people around them in the world to make a difference in their life. And that's what we see here in that third week. Last week we talked about how Jesus wept. We saw that he wept, his heart, his nature, ever becoming more and more real to us as we see the compassionate, loving heart desirous to touch the lives of those that needed him greatly. 
which brings us to today, week five. It brings us to week five of the vision month. And again, I've already said it, but even though this is the final Sunday of the month, the theme is going to carry forward throughout the year. And all that we have seen, all that is recorded of what Christ has, did on this earth, and it's in a really a, a three-year ministry, all right? He only lived three and a half, 33 and a half years in this world. His public ministry was only three years, guys. It was a very short period of time. As a matter of fact, he didn't travel more than 300 miles from his hometown where he was born. I've been more places in this world than Jesus has, you understand, in his earthly life. I'm saying that to make the point that we've seen several things that are recorded in Scripture. But remember what John said. John said this in John 21 verse 25. He said, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they could be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written on them. So we know the multitude of things. We, we, have, we have, we'll see in a second, we've got 89 chapters of his life, okay? And we see the things, but then that's just a fraction of what he did in the Patterson the pattern, the legacy that he left to live in a life worth leaving to others. His heart is revealed in his action, as is our own. And we need to take that on board tonight. So as we get into our message this evening, I want to bring a thought from the famous English Baptist preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon pointed out that within the four Gospels, again, it's 89 chapters, 89 chapters of biblical text, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. Even though we see his heart revealed throughout his activities, we learn much about in the four Gospels of his teaching, we learn about his birth, his ministry, his disciples, we're told of his travels, we're told of his habits of prayer, his attending a church or synagogue, and, and, and we see his unjust arrest, we see his shameful death and his miraculous resurrection, yet there's only one verse where Jesus himself, one place, perhaps the most wonderful words uttered by human lips do we ever hear, Jesus himself opened up about his very heart. And that's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says again, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In this one place within the holy pages of the Bible, we see the Son of God. Peel back the curtain, enable us to, 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 to peer in, way down into the core of who he is. Jesus sets the terms himself. He tells us who he is and his true nature and why he conducts himself in the manner that he does. And it's simply this, guys. It's not anything complex. He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. That's simple tonight. Understand this, when the Bible speaks of the heart, be it Old Testament or New Testament, it's not just speaking of our emotional life, but in reality it's speaking of the, of the central core of our very being. It's speaking of the root of all we are and all we do. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning times. It's what causes us to daydream in, in the cars we drive or walk to places. And it's the very thing that allows us to settle our mind to drift off to the sleep at nighttime. The heart is the HQ of our motivation. And in biblical terms, it's not part of who we are. It is who we are. It is the center of who we are and what we do. That's your heart. It's this single entity which defines us. It is the single element which directs us. And this is why Solomon, 
wisest man in all history, said this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And that word keep has the idea of to guard, all right? Now, I know there's no basketball players in here, and, and I can't use this illustration. I, I was able to use it in South America. Actually, I learned it in the Caribbean. Because when you keep, when the word keep, we would say guard someone in basketball, and you're just like this, and you're trying to guard them, right? You're, you're going wherever they go. You're moving side to side, doing this and that. Well, in, in the Caribbean, they would say keep. Keep that person, keep that person, keep that person. And that's the same thing that Solomon's telling us here tonight. Man, guard your heart. Because out of that heart, are the issues of life. Everything you see in our life tonight, guys, and I want you to think about that just for a moment. Everything that you see in our life tonight, good, bad, or indifferent, comes from the heart of mankind. We had a closing prayer this morning. One of our members up in the, the other church. And as he closed, he used this verse. He says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's the power. It's the central core of who and what you are. It is why you do the things you do. It's why you say the things you say. It's the thoughts. It all comes from the heart. And the issues of our life, and that's why it's so vitally important for us tonight to keep that heart because the issues of life come out of it. So when Jesus tells us what inspires him most deeply, what is his greatest truth, what is found within the depths of his heart, what he truly is, we find him to be meek and lowly. And who in the world could have thought up a Savior, a Creator, the God-man in this earthly, 100% man, 100% God, while he lived on this earth for 33 and a half years. And yet when he peels back the curtain for us to see what his central core is, he says, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. What an example, guys. What a legacy. What a life to live worth leaving. So first off, Jesus' heart is revealed in this verse, and we find the characteristic trait that ties into this first point that we're going to look at is that because he is meek and lowly, we find him to be accessible. Accessible, and that's a key element in our life, and it is a primary pattern that you and I can follow if we're going to have a legacy, living a life worth leaving. Jesus says, "For I am meek." Now, the Greek word translated "meek" is, is "prehos." And the only time it's translated into meek is found here in Matthew chapter 11. And it's defined as gentle, mild, and meek. Okay, that's what the word means. The root word to preos, the Greek word, is preos. And preos is translated 300 times in the New Testament. It's in the first beatitude, which says the meek shall inherit the earth. It's a reference we find in the prophecy of the triumphal entry, which is a quote from Zechariah 9.9. But it says, tell ye the daughters of Zion, behold, the king cometh unto, uh, unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, a colt, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And it's also found in Peter's epistle, which he encourages wives to nurture more than anything else. He says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. So Jesus' true nature, who and what he is, his heart is meek. His heart is humble. His heart is gentle. He's not a trigger-happy, harsh, reactionary, uh, easily offended individual. He's a meek and lowly person he is. He's the most understanding person in all of the universe. You know, the posture of Jesus, his natural posture, was never that of a pointed finger or a closed fist, but open arms. And I, I guess you could think the last few hours of his life. 
His arms are open with God. Meek and lowly. Get that in your mind tonight. Tomorrow, when something comes your way that's going to irritate you, and trust me, it's going to happen, come back to tonight. Ask yourself, am I reacting the way Jesus should have done? Now, that doesn't, we'll get into another, we'll cover that point here in just a moment. Because you're not being called to be a doormat. But I do want you to understand that his posture was out of an open arms. It doesn't mean that we have an open door to live wickedly. It doesn't mean, guys, that there isn't consequences to bad choices. Let's just make it clear there's a universal truth. You make stupid decisions, you're going to get stupid results, all right? That's not a very difficult thing to understand. Plain speech is easily understood now, isn't it? All right? But what it does mean that in his life and throughout all of our lives, his arms are open to us, welcoming himself as we should be also. The next thing we find is that he is lowly. He said, I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. Now, the meaning of the word lowly overlaps with meek, and it means not rising far from the ground. I don't want you to think about it. Not rising far from the ground. This is what the idea is. To have a low estate, a low degree. And together they communicate a single reality about Jesus' heart. The specific word lowly generally is translated humble in the New Testament, much like we find in James chapter 4, verse 6, which tells us that God, but he gives more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Typically throughout the New Testament, this Greek word that's used to translate into lowly and to humble is not humility as a virtue but rather in the sense of destitution or being thrust down downwardly by life circumstances. So stop and think about it for a second. I mean, we see the example when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. The same Greek word is translated to use and speak of the way God exalts those uh, who are lowly in spirit or of a low degree. Luke one fifty two says, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of a low degree, staying low to the ground. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, Paul utilizes the same word by saying, Be of the same mind one toward another. Be not, or not, uh, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. He's referring to the socially unimpressive. Now, I ran across that word a few weeks ago in my prep for this, for this sermon here tonight. I've been working toward this sermon for the last four, within the last four sermons. Socially unimpressive. And I got thinking about that i got to think about how we are so outwardly appearing uh, in this world, how we're, we were so focused on that in our social media world, in our, in our, our TikTok universe, our influence, and all the things that happen in our life today. We get caught up with that which is on the outside. And I'm not saying we shouldn't look presentable. Don't take me the wrong way. But I am saying this tonight. When we're talking about this word of low estate or low degree, this word lowly that Christ said he is in the heart, it's the socially unimpressive, those who are not in a high status, but rather those who may be off to themselves in the corner. Those who are looked down upon. That's why Jesus is saying he's like. The ones who aren't the life of the party. The ones who aren't at the center stage getting all the attention. Jesus is saying, I'm lowly at heart, and those are the ones that I am drawn to. That's the point that he's making. Jesus is lowly, and guys, that's what makes him accessible. That's what gives you and I access tonight to him 
365 days a year and an extra day during leap year. Now, accessibility is one thing. Yet there's a next step or a next characteristic, if you will, that we find from being meek and lowly in heart in Jesus' life. And that's he's also not, he's not only accessible, but he's also approachable. He's approachable. Now, guys, for all of his magnificent glory, his glaring holiness, his supreme uniqueness, no, not one human, or not, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ himself. Having access to someone is one thing, yet the person portraying approachability, that's all the other next level. There's no prerequisites with Jesus. It wasn't in that day, and there's not today. There's no hoops to jump through. He's just approachable, man. It's been proven time and time and time and time again. I mean, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the Syrophoenician woman at the table who was making a meal out of the crumbs, as she said, the leper on the mount that we spoke about in Matthew chapter 8, the woman with the issue of blood that we find for 12 years. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. But the Lord Jesus is meek and lowly in heart, which made him on this earth accessible and approachable. B.B. Warfield, in his book, The Person and Work of Christ, commented on Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. And this is what he said. He said, No impression was left by his life manifestation more deeply imprinted upon the consciences of his followers than that of the noble humility of his bearing. The noble humility of his bearing. The minimum step to be surrounded into the embrace of Jesus is simply to open yourself up to him. It's that simple. And that's how he lived his life on this earth. That's the pattern he left. That's the pattern he set. That's the rules and the terms that he set in stone. That's all he needs. It's his accessibility which offers you and I the next step. It is approachability which enables, uh, enables the offer to become a reality. But lastly tonight, it's his accountability that ties them all together. It's his accountability that makes it all worth it. I want you to think about it like this. I can be accessible to the T. I can be as approachable as they come, but if I cannot offer anything, if I cannot present help, no direction, no guidance, no pattern, then tell me what good the accessibility and the approachability is. There's no accountability. The accountability of Jesus in his life on this earth was second to none. So the equation looks like this. Accessible plus approachable plus accountable equals making a difference in the lives of others. And guys, it's the one thing that Jesus worked with his entire days on the earth. Again, verse 28 of the passage Matthew 11 tonight tells us explicitly who qualifies for fellowship with him. It sets it out. It's very clear. And this is what we find when Jesus calls. We saw last week Jesus wept. Tonight, Jesus calls. What does he say? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He makes it very clear. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I'll give you rest. That's simple tonight. I'm amazed by how often the religious, if you will, make things complex. And I've said it time and time and time again. This text right here, this 66 books that we know that's called the Bible, inspired, preserved, purified, and perfected before my eyes right now, is not complex. It's very simple. You don't need to unburden or to collect yourself to come to Jesus. Beloved, it's the very 
burden that you're carrying in this life that qualifies you to come to him and to accept the call. No payments required. He said, I'll give you rest, man. I mean, understand that, that this rest that he's given, the rest is a gift. The peace that he's bringing into your life, it is a gift. It's not a transaction. So you may be here tonight vigorously working hard to, to strong arm your way into peace in this life and rest. Which is what Jesus is referring to. All ye who labor. So often many times this verse is used uh, speaking of those uh, saying, uh, well, if you're working for the Lord, he's telling you to come unto him. That's, it, not even remote, that's not even on the same street. You know, you could be passing leaflets out and tracts out and preaching 17 times a week and doing all of this work. for That's not what this verse is referring to. Just silly, man. It's for those who are trying to work through this life, trying to find that one single goal, that treasure somewhere in their days, that they just want to find rest. And beloved, I guarantee you, we got a room full tonight. People who just want some rest. They want peace. You say, you need a good night's sleep? No, I'm talking about peace for tomorrow. I'm talking about rest for days to come. The storms of life are going to happen. Problems are going to happen. But he's telling me and you right now, he's saying if you're laboring, you're working, you're strong-armed, you're crowbarring yourself in this world, trying to find some type of peace. He says, come on, man. That's the prerequisite. I'll give you rest. We're going to get into the yoke next week. I'm not going to touch on the yoke tonight. Secondly, you may be passively finding yourself weighed down by something completely outside of your control. That's what he's talking about, who are heavy laden. Heavy laden. Maybe your past. Maybe your childhood. Maybe your present state of mind. It may be your health. It, I don't know what it can be. It can be anything that's surrounding you that you cannot control. And that's one thing we don't like, isn't it? We like control. Everybody likes control. If anybody comes to you and says, well, I don't like control, they don't mind. Everybody likes control. That's why we get aggravated in the car when we drive, especially me. All right? Either way about it, guys, if you're burdened by something or someone outside the realm of your control tonight, or all you were doing is laboring day in and day out, trying to find that peace, trying to find that carrot on the end of the stick, Jesus desires you to find rest. He's not interested in you remaining in a state of disarray. He's not interested in you living in a life of chaos, completely uh, unsettled in your life. This is not how he works. I'm, I'm, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to give away a sermon for next month. Psalm 23 tells us that he, speaking of the Lord, leadeth us by the still waters. Okay? Very clear. He doesn't lead you by the stormy waters. All right? Somebody will say, well, the Lord just put me, he, he, he left, no, he didn't. He's not leading you into chaos. He wants you to have rest. I think we've cleared that up right here. I think it's cleared up in Psalm 23. You know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third entity of the, the Trinity, when a person makes their decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they invite him in their heart to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's called being saved. When that happens, you get all the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get in your life. You get all that you're ever going to need, and you never lose any of it. The Bible tells us we are sealed into the day of redemption. Couldn't get out of it if you wanted to. 
I'll tell you this. Holy Spirit is not going to operate in an area of chaos. The Holy Spirit is not going to function in disarray, in disorder. You see, the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. The word grieve means to make sorrowful or to hurt or to cause pain. And so when we get our life into the midst of chaos, think about it like this, guys. Remember the, when Jesus was baptized and John the Baptist looked up and saw the Lord coming and he baptized him. That was his cousin. He was six months older than John the Baptist was. And he baptizes him and he said, I saw the Holy Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. Why did he say like a vulture or a raven? That's a nasty bird ravens are. Why didn't he say like an owl or a pigeon? You know, a dove is the most sensitive bird there is in the bird in the vowel kingdom. Very sensitive. If you watch them, they're always looking around, they're nervous, they're a sensitive bird, very sensitive. The Lord used that dove as an illustration. Of course, there's several other illustrations we know in, in, in throughout Scripture that he used the dove as well. But he used that to depict the Holy Spirit because a dove is very sensitive to chaos. They're not going to stay around chaos. And that's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. He can't leave you because you're sealed in the day of redemption. But I tell you what, if you want the influence, you want that peace, you want that rest, you want the influence and the operation of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can't be in the midst of chaos. He's not leading you there. I'm here to tell you tonight, guys, you may be working, you may be laboring, you may be heavy laden this evening. Lord's asking you to come to Him. Lord's asking you to find rest and peace in Him. Beloved, He's asking you to come in to Him in the midst of the storm. And He promises you, He's accountable, that you'll find rest. Meek and lowly. This is according to His own testimony. The only verse in all, the, all of the Scripture where Jesus makes us crystal clear what His heart is. This is who He is. He is tender. He's open. He's welcome. He's accommodating. He's understanding. He is willing. If you ask, if you were asked to say one thing, about who Jesus is. It would be honoring to his own teaching if you just said he's meek and lowly. But here's the caveat. Jesus calls. He's meek and he's lowly. But this is not who he is to everyone indiscriminately. He's meek and lowly for those who come to him, who take his yoke upon him. Again, we're going to talk about the yoke next week. You don't want to miss that one. But he's meek and lowly to those that cry for him for help because you're searching for rest and you're not strong on him anymore. We understand this by the, the verses just above there that how the Lord deals with uh, with those of the, the impenitent. Matthew 11, 20-21 says, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Torzeb. Woe unto thee, Vesadia. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre, Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. This is what I kind of touched on just a minute ago. Meek and lowly doesn't mean weak and slurpy. Okay? Never mistake meekness for weakness or lowliness for laziness. Never mistake that. But for the penitent, his heart of meek embrace is never outmatched by our sins. It's never outmatched by our failures. It's never outmatched by our shortcomings, our anxieties, whatever we may be dealing with. 
Paul tells us where sin abounded, grace did, did more much did much more abound. For the lowly meekness is not one uh, that Jesus occasionally acts toward. Meekness is who he is; it is his heart. He cannot unmeek himself toward you or me any more than you and I can change our eye color. It simply is who he is, guys. It's the legacy that he left in this earth. It's a life that he lived, living a life worth leaving to others, a pattern set for you and I to live. This is who he is. He is meek and lowly in heart. And it's that simple. He says tonight, come. He's accessible. Jesus calls. He's approachable. Jesus calls. He's accountable to you to give you rest. Take him up on his word. The heart of Christ is the epitome of that which is meek, and lowly. And his life is the epitome of what we should follow. For he made a difference in this world greater than any man who ever walked the planet. Beloved, I'm here to tell you tonight, we can make a difference in our city. We can change the fabric of its being by simply doing what we need to do every single day, involving ourselves in people's life to make a difference in their days, to make it better than it was the day before. Otherwise, we're just taking a step back. Otherwise, we're just laboring. Otherwise, we're just heavy laden and trying to deal with our own issues rather than finding peace and rest in Him and getting involved in the lives of those around us. We buy against Him. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. We pray this evening that you give us guidance, grace, and mercy. Forgive us where we have failed you. Lead us tonight, Lord, into the right way. Take these words and apply it into our hearts. Lord, I pray as we sing our closing song here just a moment as we have time of fellowship, that as we depart one another later on tonight, Lord, that we would not soon forget that which is said. We, dear Lord, begin to, to look at this vision for 2023, this legacy, this what we're going to lean to those that are behind us, whether it be tomorrow, next week, next year, or 10 years from now. Let us set a pattern in our lives for others to follow in that shadow that they too may make a difference in their life and the lives of those around them. And we ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.